Well, thank you, Keisha. All right, this morning we are going through our Kingdom of God series. You know, this week, this morning, we're going to look at another uh, of Jesus' teaching, which, if you think about it, is is fairly, you know, um, controversial, perhaps, or even just absurd in, in its own way. You know, it says, verse 21, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Or in Matthew's version, in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, as Jesus continues to preach from, from this Beatitude Sermon of the Mount series, we come across yet another teaching that seems to be a little peculiar. And essentially, this is what Jesus is saying. You know, he's, he's saying, Happy are the weeping and sorrowful. Happy are the unhappy. You know, this sounds absurd for many people. And if you think about what is going on in our world today, too, there are perhaps many cultures that I've known of, uh, that you probably know of, too, that shuns mourning because it is seen as a sign of shame. You know, if you must weep, do it discreetly. You know, do it when no one is seeing and of course, today, too, many see mourning as a sign of weakness or negative emotion that leads to all kinds of other problems. You know, the world today is so adamant to try to eradicate, neg- uh, to r- eradicate mourning, for they see mourning as a sign of weakness, as a sign of negative, by doing all kinds of things, by spending billions of dollars each year to market, to promote things, to Give us new toys, new things, you know, gadgets to make us happy so that all our troubles, you know, will be forgotten. Take Coke, for example. I mean, Coca-Cola, all right? One of its many taglines, you know, there are plenty of taglines, but one of its many taglines is open happiness. Open happiness. It's uh, pretty remarkable. If you think about it, if you only open a can of Coke, your sorrows and problems will be drowned away. That's what it's saying. And of course, there's this behemoth, Disney, Disney theme park, right? Which I know many of you have been, and I have nothing against it. Disney is dubbed the happiest place on earth. Wow, what a statement. Happiest place on earth. Maybe for the children, but not for the adults. You know, if you think about how expensive it is. But it is the happiest place on earth where children, probably some adults, can go and just, you know, forget about all the sorrows, all the pain, all the problems in life, and just go enjoy themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I want to clarify, there's nothing wrong with doing all these things. But yet, as you think about this, you know, there is a sense where the Lord gives us this passage today to remind us that there is this reality of the world that we live in that is not all happiness, that's not all joyful, that there are times when we are mourning and grieving over things that are happening in our time, in in our situation, in the circumstances that we're in. And so the gospel said, blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. And Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is he's 
is he's promising happiness and blessedness to those who mourn and grieve. And he wants us to recognize that. And so as we consider the blessedness of mourning, I just want to point out three things that we can follow through. First, we're going to talk about a bit about the misunderstanding of what this blessedness is. And second, we're going to talk about the mourning, the reason for our mourning. And third, we'll look at the significance of what true godly mourning looks like. All right, so the misunderstanding. You know, just as Jesus promised blessing to those who mourn and weep, you know, and I want you to be familiar as I'm preaching, I'm going to be using words like mourning, grieving, weeping interchangeably, all right? So just as Jesus promised the blessing to mourn and weep, he also strikingly condemned those who laugh now. You know, he said in verse 25, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now, it's important to note that Jesus isn't against laughing in any way. Jesus is not a killjoy. He is not against those who rejoice, those who find joy. You know, Solomon wrote that a joyful heart is a good medicine in Proverbs 17. So being joyful and laughing is a good thing. However, what Jesus is against is if we cannot differentiate between what is appropriate to laugh and what is not, then we have a problem. We have a problem if we can't differentiate that. You know, this is certainly a testament as we see what is going on in our world today. We live in a very confused world, in a world where laws are constantly changing, moralities are constantly changing. You know, we think that what is right in the past is now wrong, and what is wrong in the past is now celebrated. So we celebrate sin, and we laugh at righteousness. What Jesus here is saying then is that he's warning us to take seriously what is important. Jesus condemns the world for their inability to weep when they should weep. But we must laugh appropriately. We must also mourn appropriately. And before we talk about what we should be mourning, let's talk a bit about some of the misunderstanding of this passage, of this blessedness of mourning. Now, first, we must understand that blessedness of mourning does not mean that Christians are called to live in a perpetual melancholy, dull, and depressed state of, at all times. I've already talked about this. Solomon believes that we should rejoice, that, that we should laugh over things. But at the same time, as Christians, you know, when Jesus talks about mourning, he does not command us to simply leave, live a dull, depressed life. You know, it's not blessed are those who are grim or cheerless, Right? Now, Charles Spurgeon, this great pastor, once remarked that some preachers he had known in the past appeared to have their neckties twisted around their souls because they are so joyless. They walk around as though as everything is just dull and grim. And then others, other preachers in the past year have mentioned how some churches feel like a funeral service, sad and depressing. Now, being perpetually joyless is not 
the blessedness of mourning. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Another thing to consider too is that this blessedness does not apply to the mourning for sinful desires. Now we have a few passages in the Bible that, that supports that. You know, 1 Kings 21, Ahab, King Ahab was sad and grieved over his unmet desire for coveting a field of Naboth. You know, Ahab wanted Naboth's field because it was closer to his house. But his request was denied, and he was angry and upset. He grieved over it. Then with the terrible advice from Jezebel, what happened? Ahab conspired a plan to have Naboth killed so that he can have his land. And then a similar story, too, in, in the story of 2 Samuel, Amnon and Tamar. Amnon, who is David's son, lusted over his half-sister Tamar. And when she rejected his advances, he wept and grieved over it. But you know what happened in this twisted story at the end, right? But here, here are examples that the Lord does not condone. These are not what the blessedness of mourning is all about. You know, one more consideration, too, is that Jesus here is not simply speaking about the mourning of bereavement, right? It is true that we all grieve over the loss of loved ones in our lives. It is tragic. It is sad. And it's also true that God does comfort us when we grieve over and mourn over our lost ones. But Jesus doesn't want us to mourn only for the circumstances that we're in. Now, he wants us to mourn for something more, for the cause of it all, for the cause of all our sufferings and pain, the cause of all our brokenness. He wants us to go deeper, mourn for the thing that is the pain, that is the situation that, that, that brings all this situation to place. You know, tying this back to the Beatitudes, both Matthew and Luke started the Sermon of the Mount with the poor, the poor in the kingdom specifically referring to those who are poor in the spirit. What does that mean? It means that, that Jesus started by, by recognizing those, you know, who recognizes their spiritual bankruptcy to God. Being poor in spirit is admitting that because of your sin, you are completely destitute spiritually and can do nothing in your power to deliver yourself from your dire situation. Jesus started sermon by calling those who are poor in the spirit, by helping them to recognize those who are poor in the spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom. And tying to this, Jesus is calling us to mourn, mourn for the spiritual state. It's one thing to recognize that you are poor in the spirit, but it's another to mourn over it. And Jesus is tying back all that back up together. Which leads me to my second point here, the reason for our mourning. Now, as Christians, we're told to pattern our lives after the image of Christ and to follow his footsteps in what we do. And this morning we sung a song that perfectly described that, which Isaiah 53 called Jesus, the man of sorrows. You know, Isaiah 53, verse 2 to 3 said, He grew up before him like a tender shoot 
and like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form of majesty to attract us, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteem him not. So the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ, was acquainted with grief and sorrow for sin and its effect on this world. And so he came to take on sin. He came to take on sin by suffering and dying so that the punishment of sin, the curse of sin, which is death, is upheld through his own death. Now there are several instances of Jesus weeping in Scripture, mourning over mourning in Scripture that supports this. You know, John eleven thirty five, that famous passage, Jesus wept. Right? What did he weep for? Well, he wept for the death. He wept at the death of Lazarus. You know, the story goes upon hearing the news that Lazarus was ill, Jesus decided to stay longer where he was instead of going to Lazarus to heal him. Jesus knew that he was going to perform a spectacular miracle, miracle, a miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, he could have gone earlier to heal him from his illnesses, but instead he stayed back so that he can perform an even greater miracle for the world to see. The miracle of raising someone from the dead. And therefore, when he arrived, Lazarus was dead. But while Jesus, knowing that Lazarus won't remain dead, he wept after speaking with Martha and Mary and seeing all the mourners. Why? Well, he wept because it was tears of compassion for those suffering over the afflictions of sin. In Luke 19, you know, Jesus was taking a trip to Jerusalem before his death. And when he approached Jerusalem from afar and thought of all the lost souls and the coming judgment upon this city, he wept. He mourned over Jerusalem. And then in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was hurt because of his reverence. This passage was a direct correlation to Matthew 26 with Jesus' prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. Right? Jesus was sorrowful, was mournful and troubled when he prayed because of his impending death, because of the judgment of God that would come upon him. For he would have to suffer for taking on the sins of the people. Jesus wept and mourned in his prayer. And seeing these passages about Jesus' grief and sorrow, what can we learn about our own mourning? You know, for one, I believe that Jesus' mourning for sin shapes us, shapes us to weep and mourn for our own sin, for our own depravity. You know, as believers, we believe that, that only those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize their spiritual depravity and sinful state, then a chance to enter God's kingdom. As I said, Jesus doesn't want us to stop at just recognizing our sin. He wants us to weep, grieve, mourn over the poverty of our spirit. 
He wants us to grieve over our sin. And we have a cloud of witnesses and examples before us as Christians who actually learn the meaning of mourning and live it out in their lives. You know, take David for example. So much of his psalm is a lament and mourning over the troubles of sin, over the brokenness of people, of, over the brokenness of, of the world caused by sin. Psalm 38.4 said, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And then Psalm 51, which we may be familiar, after his, his uh, sin with Bathsheba, David said, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And the prophet Isaiah himself, in, in chapter 6, verse 5 said, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. And Paul, the Apostle Paul himself, speaking of the agony of being in the flesh and living to do what I do not want and doing the very things I hate. Himself, he calls himself Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So you see here, we have examples and examples of people who continuously come before the Lord mourning over the sins of their lives, over who they are. And mourning over our sin is an important aspect of living in the kingdom of God. Now Ken Hughes in his commentary said that the saddest thing in life the saddest thing in life is not a sorrowing heart, but a heart that is incapable of grieving over sin, for it is a heart without grace. And seeing that Jesus wept over the sins of others, he also calls us not only to weep for our own sins, but also the sins of others over the bitter consequences in judgment and death over unrepentant city. And he calls us to do the same. You know, we mourn over others in our families, friends and colleagues who are caught by the web of sin. We weep over the evil in this world, evil of war, persecutions and injustices. We grieve over brokenness caused by sin, marred by those living with disability, living with debilitating sicknesses, living with mental illnesses. We lament over the unrepentant, over the ignorant, over those who laugh at sin. Seeing that Jesus calls us to weep over these terrible circumstances, show his compassion, his compassion and care for us, for people. He knows the terrible circumstances of sin that has put us in and he calls us to grieve as he grieves with us. You know, brothers and sisters, sin grieves God deeply because of it, everything was corrupted. And yet, yet, there is hope for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why He sent Jesus into this world, to bring hope in the midst of this corruption, hope in the midst of the brokenness that's going on in this world and in us. 
And so finally we come to our, our, our final point here as we think about what Jesus calls us to grieve. We look at why, the significance of true godly mourning. How does this impact us? How does mourning over our sin leads to comfort that Jesus promised? You know, both Luke and Matthew confirm the blessing for one who mourn and weep, that they will laugh and be comforted. You know, blessed are you who weep for now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. You know, there seems to be a clear difference between what godly grieving looks like. We do not grieve alone, and we do not grieve without hope because of God's promise. So we ask the question, how is this all possible? Well, first, we need to understand the significance of what true godly mourning looks like. No, true mourning, godly mourning, always leads to repentance. For some people, when we sin, right, we feel bad about our sin. We feel bad about what we did. We feel sorry. But feeling bad or regret over sin is not the same as repentance. No, our time said that I've done something wrong. You know, I weep, I mourn over it. But that's not the same as repentance. Repentance, you know, turns away from your sins. I love what Kevin DeYoung said. You know, he said, regret, regret feels bad about past sins, but repentance turn away from past sins. You know, most of us are content with regret. We just want to feel bad for a while, have a good cry, enjoy the cathartic experience, bewail our sin and how selfish and sorry we are. But we really don't want to change. We don't really want to live different than we have been. And this is the kind of grief of regret that does not spur us to action. It leads us into idleness, into stagnation. You know, it keeps us indifferent. And to a point in time, you know, we may even justify our sins. We may even feel comfortable about it and not worry about it anymore. But godly mourning always leads to repentance. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7.10, which we just read in our assurance, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly grief, sorrow, leads us to certain actions. It leads us to do something. It leads us to hate our sins, to run away from it, to turn to Christ so that we can change. And this is repentance. And then as we repent, we also receive forgiveness from God. You see the cycle. Godly mourning leads to repentance. And from repentance comes forgiveness, which leads to salvation. Acts 3.19 said, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sin may be blotted out. And 1 John 1, 1.9, this famous passage says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is the relief for those who turn to Christ in repentance. 
the guilt of our sin is forgiven and relieved by Christ. There is now no condemnation for you who turn to Christ. And this is such a comfort too for those who are not yet believers. You know, perhaps you are in this situation. You know, if God is stirring up in your heart the grief for your sins, I would encourage you to take it to Christ. Take it to Christ. Take your mourning before God so that you will receive forgiveness and salvation. As we see from the story, from this famous story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. In this story, you notice that what the father did, even when he was still far away, the father saw the son, who after spending away all his money, you know, and enjoying life, eventually he found himself to be in a place of desperation, in a place where he struggled. You know, in a place where he realizes that that he has sinned before his father. And so he decided to turn back to his father. But before he was even near to his father, as his father saw him from afar, he had compassion on him and ran to embrace him. Now this is a true picture of our God who opens his arms to embrace anyone who will turn to him in repentance because there is forgiveness for those who will turn to him. And then with forgiveness and salvation comes joy and peace. Now, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Everyone who turns to Christ in repentance will receive the comfort of joy and peace because you have been forgiven. You have been set free. You have been saved. Now, this comfort that Jesus talks about comes from his own spirit. Remember that the Holy Spirit is also called a comforter. When Jesus said that you will be comforted, he's saying that I will comfort you because my spirit will come to you to comfort you. I am the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter who will be in with you the moment you repent and turn to him. So remember that the Holy Spirit is the comforter who comes to you when we mourn and grieve. For we are not alone because... He comes to our aid. He comes to us and lives in us the moment of conversion, the moment we acknowledge Christ. You know, so much about Jesus' teaching, it's like a paradox, right? You won't find joy in your life if you do not mourn over your sins, right? Joy, mourning, how does it all work? Well, only Jesus can masterfully make that happen. Death, life, how does it work? Only Jesus can fulfill that. You know, David in Psalm 51 said it well. After he had repented, he also asked God, and he said, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Jesus is calling. uh, David is calling Jesus, calling God to restore upon him this joy that he has lost because of sin. And like us, sin takes away joy, takes away the joy of living as believers, living the abundant life that God has called you to be, has called you to do. Until we learn to mourn 
for our sin, we will never experience joy. Until we learn to weep for our sin, we will never learn to live in this comfort and joy that Jesus has promised. Sin has taken all the joy. And so like David, as we turn to him and mourn, we ask God to restore unto us the joy of our salvation. The actions of joy and mourn comes together. You know, one of the most vivid experiences I had in my early Christian life, you know, it w- was during the, my time in college. I became a believer, at, I think, around the age of 15. But I didn't really know what it means a lot. You know, after I said the prayer, after I was baptized, I didn't know what it really means to, to live the Christian faith. And so for a while, I sort of wondered in different scenarios, situations. You know, I mixed with the wrong crowd. You know, I did things that normally I wouldn't be proud of. And then, of course, also, you know, there were instances in my life where, where I struggled with pornography, with, with sexual sin. And so for a while, I didn't know what it means to live in, as a Christian, to live the life that, that God has for me. And then when I came to college, I got involved with, with Christian ministries there. And I remember there was a vivid experience where we went on a retreat and the, the preacher was preaching on this series on the Beatitudes. He was going through each one of it. And all of a sudden, a sudden rush of, of mourning comes upon me. You know, I couldn't stop weeping. I couldn't stop crying. I have no idea what, what is going on, you know, in, in my heart, in my life. It's just keep, you know, it's just like, like a tap that, that, You've turned the faucet on. It just keeps flowing. And I couldn't stop. You know, I just continue weeping and weeping uncontrollably over my sins as I was thinking about all the guilt and all the burden of carrying through it. Because every time you sin, you know, you, in my understanding, I try to make it up. I try to be good. I try to live it out. You know, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. You know, but it didn't happen. And so I live with that guilt, with that burden, with that sorrow of, of my sin. And yet, when I started weeping, you know, it just felt <laughs> there's something that I couldn't control. But yet, as I weep, as I weep more and more, the Lord ministers, the Holy Spirit comes into my heart to continue to comfort me and, con- and not only convict me, but comfort me and restore me. You know, I began to For the first time in my life, I began to understand what grace meant. I began to understand what burden meant and how it's been lifted by Christ. I found peace. I found joy like I've never felt before. You know, I don't know if you have had that experience in your life. You know, as a believer, as you look back at at your experience, as you turn to Christ for the first time, Maybe you have had that experience too. Maybe you have felt that, that burden and shame. And you have seen how God lifted you up in your sorrow when you turned to him in your own sorrow. Maybe you have experienced that peace like you have never experienced before 
when you turn to him. And this is the gift of blessing that only Christ can offer. And certainly this, this gift not only extends to you, but it also extends to the world. Now Christ came not only to redeem us, but also to redeem the world. He has come not only to save us, but he has also come to undone everything tainted by sin. You know, every tear we shed for all the brokenness in our bodies, you know, the brokenness that we see in our families, the brokenness that we see in this world, every tear that we shed will be wiped away by Christ when he returns to destroy sin and death once and for all. When he comes to right all the wrongs of this world. And so this is our ultimate hope. This is what Paul says that when you grieve, do not grieve as though as there's no hope. Because there is hope. There is always hope in Christ. Even when it seems that, that in days where it seems hard, where it feels like there's no progress in what is going on in your life, where you continue to live in habitual sin, where you struggle with, with, with you know, chronic illnesses, you struggle to understand the meaning of your suffering, there is still hope because Jesus is with you. He gives us this sermon to remind us that it is okay for us to weep. He wants us to weep. Weep as one with hope in Christ. Weep as one who knows that ultimately Jesus is going to come to make everything right. This is his promise for us. Weep as one with hope as you look at your own brokenness, as you look at the brokenness around you, as you look at your own sin and struggles. And so we live as believers by faith daily, following God faithfully in this world so that we may continue to grow in our love and obedience of him. At the same time, we continue to take our spiritual state seriously, always aware of the snare and danger of sin, always mourning at our own shortcomings and struggles, always repenting, and always also mourning for what is going on in our world. Don't just mourn over your circumstances. Mourn over what causes it, sin. Mourn over it so that we will ultimately experience the blessedness of his promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for Jesus and how he has conquered sin and death for us. Even in, in our life right now, Lord, as we continue to struggle through, through hardships, through suffering, through brokenness, through sins, Lord, we are reminded that the work of redemption has started through Christ. And yet as we continue to live in this, in the tension of the already and not yet, we know too that, that your ultimate work of redemption will come to its final completion when Jesus returns. And so we wait as we continue to, 
to struggle in this world as we wait for you. We also wait knowing that you are with us, that you are there with us. Even as you call us to weep over our sins, that you want us to weep over our sins and the brokenness of what is going on in, in this world, you are there with us because you have promised comfort. And this comfort is your own spirit living in us. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is in us, even if we at times do not feel it, but it is there still ministering in our hearts and our lives throughout our sorrows. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus, for what he has done. Thank you for what he will do for us. And thank you, too, that, that even in our tears that we sown today, that there will be joy, that there will be laughing, that there will be ultimate peace and joy when Jesus returns. So we thank you and we continue to trust and live by faith in you, Lord. Pray that you strengthen us even when we struggle, Lord, and when we find ourselves in a place of darkness, when we cannot will in our own power to believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.